Today on EdgeFX, we're talking with Dr. Robin Kimmerer. I'm Heather Swan, lecturer at UW-Madison. And Dr. Kimmerer is a mother, a plant ecologist, a writer, and SUNY Distinguished Teaching Professor at SUNY College of Environmental Science and Forestry in Syracuse, New York. She serves as the founding director of the Center for Native Peoples and the Environment, whose mission is to create programs which draw on the wisdom of both indigenous and scientific knowledge for our shared goals of sustainability. Hi. Hi Thank you for being with us. Um, I heard you speaking in a TED Talk in 2012, and you talked about the importance of names. You mentioned three words for a small fruit, which, um, for which the English name is strawberry, and then you named the Potawatomi name and also the scientific name. And you also mentioned that many children can name up to 100 corporate logos, but only 10 plants. I was wondering if you could talk about your feelings about the importance of naming and learning names. That's a wonderful question, because I feel like we have such a poverty in our language, which mirrors a poverty in our experience of relationship with the living world, especially plants. Um, For me, not knowing the name of the plants would be like walking down a street and not recognizing a single face, and all the signs are in a foreign language. How do you feel at home without knowing who your neighbors are? are. And I think it has real conservation implications as well, because until we understand that these beings are in relationship to us, like that strawberry, you know, if we know what the gifts of that strawberry are, we then learn how it is we take care of the strawberry. But we have to have a name for it. And whether we call it strawberry, or whether we call it Frageria virginiana in botanical Latin, or odemen in our language, which means the heartberry, doesn't matter what you call it. To me, it's the act of naming, the act of paying close enough attention that you could name the organism in whatever idiom is your own. Excellent. In many of your talks, you also tell wonderful stories. And um, I feel like somehow it seems that the stories that you tell are very important to our historical moment. Can you talk about why stories might be important to you uh, because of your own tradition or because of your life as a scientist? You know, somebody far wiser than I said that, you know, you know what the most effective communication technology ever devised by man, man, is? <laughs> and everyone always says, oh, it must be the internet or the printing <laughs> press. But to me, I think the answer is the story mm. because we are hardwired for story, I think, and maybe heartwired um, for, for story as well. We remember stories, we fill in between the lines in a way that stories leave us open to create relationship with that, with that narrative. And I think s- stories are a way of, of weaving relationship. Um, the other thing that I find powerful about stories, especially after years of, of writing only technical, peer-reviewed, scientific articles where there where no story is allowed is that story in and I think the reason it works so stories work so well is that it embraces the intellect you know the physical senses emotion and spirit mm-hmm. so um, it's so holistic we we remember in these powerful ways because each part of our of our being has has been touched 
And Gary Nabhan has said that as we try to heal the earth with restoration, with ecological restoration, he says, well, that's all well and good, but what we really need to do is restoration. We need to once again, we need to tell ourselves a different story about our relationship to place. And that's where I think creation stories, either from antiquity or the creation stories that we are today in the process of writing about our relationship to place really matter. They can become a compass for us. That's wonderful. Would you be willing to share the story about um, the ritual of sharing uh, berries in one bowl? You had a line that said uh, that you share the berries from one bowl and you have this belief there's one bowl and one spoon. And I thought maybe you could tell, tell that story. Yes, um, the actual phrase of the bowl with one spoon or one bowl, one spoon um, is an important concept in um, the the worldview of my Haudenosaunee neighbors in upstate New York. And it's also manifest in our Potawatomi ways. Um, And the one bowl, one spoon is really a powerful metaphor that helps us think about the earth as this bowl. You know, this wonderful round bowl that's filled with berries and fish and water and all the things that we humans need. But it's one bowl and it's bounded. Um, And so that idea of the one bowl that we all are fed from the earth um, and um, that that bowl is finite. Um, Mm -hmm. So when it's empty, it's empty and it's our responsibility to keep it full so that everyone can be fed and that everyone is not just people. It's, it's all the beings of, of creation. So how do we ensure that that one bowl lasts us? It's because there's one spoon. We all eat from the same bowl, but we all use the same spoon. And I think it's a powerful metaphor for justice, isn't it? Um, That there isn't a little bitty teaspoon for some people and a great big ladle for other people. Um, That these gifts of the earth, which are shared with us by Shock McQuay, by Mother Earth, are to be shared equally. Mm, Yes. One of my favorite things that I've heard you say is that strawberries have their own intelligences. And you suggested that if we imagine non-human beings as having these intelligences, we would have to act with more reciprocity to them. And um, when you talk about reciprocity, um, I'm wondering if you could talk about what what we could be doing differently that would would be a better way of being, a better way of enacting this gratitude and reciprocity that you um, you talk about so frequently. The whole notion of reciprocity is the idea that every being has a gift, but that gift and responsibility are two sides of the same coin. You know, as that strawberry was given the gift of juicy red sweetness, it is also given the responsibility to feed certain elements in the in the community. Um, and so asking how we participate in, in reciprocity is asking what is our responsibility, but it's also asking what is our gift? What is our gift as human people? Um, and that's what we're called to give in, in reciprocity, for in return for everything that we have been given, more often than not in return for everything that we have taken, um, what is it that we have 
to give back. And the reason I love to think about that in terms of gift and responsibility is that each of us has a different gift. You know, as a parent, as a teacher, as an artist, as a gardener, we say, you know, whatever your gift is, we're called to give it in return for everything that we have been given. That's lovely. That's a wonderful um, goal for all of us is to recognize our our gifts and our ability to give back. One of the uh, things that the Che Grad Symposium is organized around uh, this year is a question about what we mean when we use the word environment and if we're all talking about the same thing when we use that word. Do you have a word that you think you would use um, do you think it's useful to say the noun environment or do you think that there are other words that you would offer as being more productive? It certainly has become part of our lexicon, hasn't it? But more often than not, I think people, when they say environment, um, in the public lexicon anyway, it also means environmental problems. Um, Mm -hmm. Whereas when I think of environment, I certainly think about land, but land in a really holistic way. And I suppose really the more accurate word for what I'm imagining as environment is actually home. Home would be the, the, the closest word for me because home is the place that takes care of you, but that you take care of. Home is the place where you enact reciprocity. And home is where you belong. Lovely. Uh, 